Hey dudes and dudettes, what is going on? And welcome to episode 33 of the Lepressed and Guest Podcast. I'm giving you a double dose today. Two podcast episodes dropping in one day. My guest today is Grady Bean. Grady is an associate in the camping industry. He comes on the podcast to discuss summer camps and the experiences that come from a summer away from home. I met Grady when he was a camper at the summer camp I used to work with and got to work alongside him and his dad once he got older. I had a blast talking with Grady and catching up. I appreciate everyone who listens and supports the Lepress and Guest Podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support you give me. And as always, last but certainly not least, a special thank you to the men and women of our United States military. For without your bravery, dedication, and sacrifice, none of us would be able to do what we love doing. I am forever in your debt. what's up dude how's it going good good not not too bad thank you for uh finally finally hopefully we get this one live oh we will we'll do it yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i guess for this if you can just try and be as close to your computer as possible that way the audio comes in as clearly as possible and also it's really just for me i want to see that beautiful smiling face as much um the (laughs) audience the audience unfortunately doesn't get to see it i'm the only one who gets to for uh for the time being (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Yeah. How's everything going, man? It's going. Yeah. I'm in New Jersey now, so it's definitely a change of pace from Maine. Um, It's going good, though. Yeah. I've got family that lives in New Jersey, and uh, I've spent many a summers growing up on uh, Long Beach Island at the Jersey Shore, so I'm a little familiar with Jersey and the the beaches mainly. All right. Yeah. um, We're about an hour out of Atlantic City. so I haven't, I haven't, I haven't actually been down there. Mm-hmm. We made plans to go last time I was out here to go see like the Jersey shore house and all that, but we never, we never made it, but yeah, I'm in North Jersey, just outside of the city. It's a good area. I don't mind it. Do you gamble at all? I, I don't, not old enough. How old, do you have to be 21? Mm-hmm. I can buy scratch tickets, but I don't do that because you don't win ever. <laughs> That's what, what I feel uh- like. But yeah, my my one uh, good friend who was my old next door neighbor grew up with him uh, growing up. He's big into scratch off tickets. So, I mean, he's um he's won some some nice amounts here and there. But I, all in all, he's probably just uh, broken even more than anything. Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't think you make much generally. Yeah, it's a fun little habit. I guess he has. He's um for the most part responsible with it. He's not, um you know, struggling to put food on the table for his daughter and wife just uh right. you know some people can really unfortunately get carried away with that uh addiction yeah yeah my dad and i know a gentleman in our hometown and he it's like the same thing like every morning we go in and he he will buy a hundred dollars worth of tickets every morning he walks in and it's like i don't know how you afford it but all right i mean he also lives with his mom at 55 so <laughs> i guess the math adds up yeah yeah. So who knows? Maybe, maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll get that money uh, sometime. Have you seen, have, I, I think there's quite a bit of stories out there and cautionary tales that when you win some of those big million dollar jackpots, I think it can actually be more of a burden than blessing. Uh, there's quite a few cautionary tales about how people have ended up in worse financial situations with that, with that money. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, 
obviously I don't have experience with it, but I, I'm, I can only imagine like, I think you have to ease your way into that kind of money. Like generally, like the only way that you're good with that kind of money is if you've worked your way up from the bottom and earned it, you know, and then you can kind of really appreciate it. But mm-hmm. I think if you just live a normal life and you come into like millions of dollars, I think I can imagine how that's like easy to easy to make mistakes. You know, I'd probably make mistakes with that much money too. Mm-hmm. What could you, what do you see yourself doing if you want a hundred million dollars? We'll say. God, that's like such a hard question because opening my TD bank app and seeing that many digits would be surreal. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few, few more commas than what you have now. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, God, I, I don't know. I would like to think I would be like pretty intelligent with it. Like I would think I would buy like probably like some nice properties depending on how much and like do like the mm. rental thing. Like, but I'd also probably want to like hire people to manage them. Okay. Are you yeah. using those properties as a way to generate revenue as a way for you yeah, to have would, like extra places to, make, to vacation to? No, it would, it would be to make income, but I also like, I, I have no desire. Actually, you know what? Scratch all that. I would probably just travel the world and never stop. Um, mm. Yeah, I, that's probably what I'd do. I think that's a better answer. I think like, I don't know. I never want to not be busy. So I'd want to like stay doing stuff. You know, mm. I wouldn't want to just buy a hundred million dollar place and hole up for the rest of my life. I think like I kind of work to travel now, you know, I work mm. so I can hold up some money and like go to a new place. That's like what I'm working on now. And so I think if I came into that much money, I think I just want to see everything. I just spend my life traveling. Do you think you'd need uh, breaks in between trips just to kind of recenter, refocus, touch back home? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, home's definitely a big deal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think you'd do with that? Um, yeah, traveling would for sure be a big part of it. Uh, I think a lot of it would be, um, I'd really, I I think I'd really lean into podcasting more and getting to have conversations with people. I would Mm -hmm. try and, um, spend maybe, maybe a month of my summer up in, up in Maine, helping back out of camp. Um, I don't know if I'd want to do that full summer just because, again, in this scenario, I have just generational wealth and, and <laughs> in theory, have the ability to uh, go do whatever I wanted. So I would love to spend mm. some of those prime travel months in the summer actually traveling around. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so, that's very true. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, I'd love to develop some type of nonprofit that helps out um, underprivileged communities. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Love to do that. Definitely. And yeah, I think um I'd like to do some type of philanthropic philanthropical or community type work for nonprofits that helps out my immediate community. Yeah, I think um I think like one of the biggest problems with that much money is you become out of touch with yourself and everybody else because you're sure. not really, like you're not relatable anymore and you can't relate. Yeah. Um and I think, yeah, I think maintaining relatability is one of the biggest things you have to work on. Um, I think normal people, but also like if you go through something like that, for sure. I think that's like where it kind of goes wrong is like 
when you start to think like you might be like better than people or like you maybe develop like a sense of superiority or just mm -hmm. sheer stupidity and just go buying everything because you see all the numbers. But I don't know. Um, I know like uh, there's a study that says like when you make $80,000, like that's the most in, that a household can make. That's like peak happiness. Um, mm -hmm. And even at like $100,000, um, actually the family is slightly less happy, not much like less happy, but also not more happy at, at a hundred thousand dollars. Like, uh, this, they were saying like, you might drive a fancier car or, uh, you know, have like a slightly bigger house, but you're not going to be truly like happier. Um, and mm -hmm. eventually it starts to create more problems. Yeah. I don't know. I think if you're able to stay and maintain being grounded throughout the whole thing and humble and kind of as close to being normal as you can in those circumstances, I think more money would, I, I think, be a blessing. Uh, some people are able to just handle it well, and some people can be reasonable, down-to-earth people with just lots of money. But the issue is, is you tend to, it's very easy to lose oneself when you start getting into situations you're able to when you have that type of money. You know, you can probably fairly easily get yourself into any type of fame and fortune you want you know you've yeah. got resources that you never had before right and i think like i don't know i think like money will always be controversial and kind of mysterious because you're objectifying value um so i think no matter what you that you know there's um there's always going to be different theories on how to handle it and you know there are people that are like you only live one life, spend it while you have it, have all the mm -hmm. fun that you can. And then you have some people that are, I want to set up my family for the future. And um, so there's a lot of ways to look at it, but I always find it interesting to hear what people have to say to answers like, or to questions like that, because it, it they are always so different. I think like everyone always has a, a pretty different idea, a pretty unique idea mm -hmm. of how, of how they would um, really make their individual happiness happen with, with a lot of money. Yeah. I, I think I turn a lot of my hobbies into just what, what I did all the time. That that would be kind of what my, for lack of a better term, nine to five, what my, my week would look like is doing a lot of the hobbies and interest I have. For instance, I would do um, some more Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes. I would do a lot of ballroom dancing classes. I would um, shoot my bow a lot more often. I would do podcasts more often. I would try and get out and golf more often, stuff right. like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I think like what it comes down to for me, like how I make my decision is just, I I really do like I am trying to build a bank account so that I can travel and see new places. And so I guess that's just the easiest answer is if I had a lot of money, I would just not work as much and just do all that traveling. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much to see in the world. Where are you trying to travel to next? Where are some of the places you're trying to get to next? So my next trip that I have planned is Bulgaria this winter. Um, oh, it's a pretty nice. Trip. Yeah, it's a cheap trip altogether. It's super cool. Uh, there's a lot of old religious um, artifacts and uh, there's old churches all over, like the big old stone churches. I find those incredible. Um, there's also like a $15 in, in U.S. Uh, train that goes from Bulgaria to Romania. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I want to go see Dracula's castle, but oh. it's relatively, yeah. So that'll be cool. Uh, it's a relatively cheap trip in general though. Um, I think for 17 days, I have 
about double 3,500 planned. So, um, so I think for over two weeks, it's, it's not the most expensive trip, but I'm super excited for it. You're going to be going for two weeks, a little over like 17 days. That's nice. the that's, plan. that's a good time to be over international really gives you some time to explore and get, are you going right. to be backpacking? What's your, what's your primary mode? Yeah, I want to, so I kind of want to be around one area, um, but there are three big cities that you can go to. Um, I think I haven't like, I don't, I don't have it fully planned out cause it's still a bit away, but, um, I think for the most part, I want to stay in, um, in one spot and then, um, about a week into the trip, take the train to Romania and then spend about another week in Romania. Cause it's a three day train. Um, so it's like, it's like a very slow train. It's like a scenic, like you go through everything. Um, yeah, so I think I'd probably do that, like stay a week and then take the train and then spend another week in Romania. And that would be my 17 days. You got any contacts over there or how'd you, uh, how'd you land on Bulgaria? Uh, price, uh, extremely cheap. Mm. Yeah. Extremely cheap. Um, my first time I, and it's also, uh, known to be friendly to foreigners. Um, and so, yeah, I just figured it would be a, a pretty cheap trip. That would be pretty cool. Uh, like I wanted to go to Greece, like Greece is a place I really want to go, but that trip for two weeks was closer to 10 grand. Um, so it would just be a much bigger hit, uh, yeah. be a lot harder to make happen. So yeah, yeah. Bulgaria just all in all is just the cheapest option I can get for the longest amount of time with also a, a good deal of very interesting and uh, cool stuff to see beautiful sites and all that. How much research has to go into this and what, what is your research process look like? Oh, I mean so much more, <laughs> so much more research than I've done. Um, but basically I kind of just started with, um, I kind of just looked up like good places to travel, uh, like cool places to travel to and literally just saw like country names. And I was just like, Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds cool. That sounds cool. And then my first step was always just to see like what currency they use just to see what the translation would be and, and how much I'd have to spend and all that. Um, and then how much places are to stay there uh, and then how much food is there um, and like how much the flight is there. Uh, and then after that, like, I guess like if you pass all those tests, then I get into the more like, uh, like, is it a very safe place to go? Like mm -hmm. what are, you know, like, is it um, like, what is there actually to do once I'm there? But I, yeah, I definitely start off with, with like uh, how much is it even going to be to get there? Because if it's too expensive for me to go, then it doesn't really matter if it's dangerous or not. Cause I'm yeah. not going to yeah. go yeah. either way. Already, no, no point <laughs> in wasting your time looking into it. It's already right. eliminated itself. Right, right, right. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's like roughly it, but I mean, it's also my first time. So I'm kind of figuring out my own process as I go. Mm. Is this your first time traveling internationally? It is. I don't even have my passport yet. That's, that's something I'm working on right now. So yeah, it takes a good bit of time to actually get that process and uh, out to you. So yeah. definitely get that, um, get that mm -hmm. squared away as soon as possible. Yeah. I've already can take up to like two or three months. So I'm trying to get it done mm -hmm. early in the year. So even if it happens to take longer on some crazy event, I'll still get it in time is my, my idea. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited though. I, um, I think there's the world has a lot to offer. I'm excited to get sure. out, especially growing up in small town, Maine, you know? Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's um, that's one thing I noticed about Maine. I would always tell people when I would go up there and how I would try and explain it to Maine is it, it feels like there's almost – I'm trying to think of how to say this without it sounding like it. It feels like there's almost no middle class or suburb type setting in Maine, at least the areas uh, I dealt with uh, uh, being associated with Maine. It felt like it was kind of very rural out there in the country almost or – I would go to cities such as Camden, Maine or Bar Harbor, which were these incredible, beautiful cities that uh, it felt like had a a lot of history behind them, like a good bit of like money where people would go vacation to. It never felt like, um, I don't know, where where I go, where I'm at in Marietta and Kennesaw, there's a lot of suburbs and it felt like the closest one we had would have been would have been Portland. And that's one of the yeah. major cities in Maine, you know? Yeah, I mean, Maine is just by median age the oldest state in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we also we lose. Uh, we actually the population of Maine goes down each year. Uh, mm-hmm. If you include the statistics of natural deaths versus people moving in and babies being born, so we literally have people dying just simply of old age, like just a, just passing away at a higher rate than we have people moving in and be babies being born combined. So yeah, our population goes down each year generally. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you're, you're very right. It is like, uh, it's both. I think Maine's kind of a retirement home. It's relatively inexpensive. It's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. and so, but there's not a great economy. There's not a huge, you know, there's, there's not that many, I guess like growing businesses in Maine. If you're starting a business, you're you're probably not starting it in Maine. Uh, the few businesses that can really thrive in Maine um, are kind of already created and established yeah. and are already thriving. Um, so I think that's why Maine is such a good state for people to retire to when they've finished their careers and made their money or whatever. They buy a pretty cheap house. They have a beautiful state to live in. They just enjoy the nature and hang out and the low taxes, everything else. Um, but it's really hard for a young person to thrive for sure. It's really hard to, to make a living as a young person in Maine. Yeah. I think part of it is it's just, they've got such harsh winters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, like since I left Maine, I left, um, January 14th. Um, and since I left, there's been you know, almost two to three inches every day, except five days Mm -hmm. since like January 17th that they've gotten snow. And I've been calling my dad every day and he's like, yeah, we're up plowing again, out plowing again all night, all day. Like Mm -hmm. they've gotten so much snow. Um, So yeah, it, it definitely impacts a lot. And it's also very expensive to, to live in the snow. And that, that's another thing. Cause I think uh, one part that, you might not think of when like when you mention the winters is it's also hard for a young person to afford heat like if i'm to yeah. uh, to pay for rent or whatever it's very hard to heat your house it's very hard to um you know to try it's also all the salt that goes on the roads in maine mm-hmm. rust out the bottom of your car like instantly like um so you're always paying for more repairs on your car you're generally getting in more crashes because there's such bad winters and bad conditions to drive in so but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of places where you can find yourself spending a lot of money in maine 
Yeah, I was um yeah, if it wasn't for the harsh and brutal winters, they and again, if they had more town cities uh located throughout the um throughout the state, I would have considered moving up there after my first summer of camp. You know, when you go out west to these um places like Utah, Colorado, it seems like there's a lot of towns and cities located throughout these mountainous regions to where people can justify living because it's not just I mean there are it's beautiful driving through Maine in the summer and there some of the nice draws about it is some of the houses you're driving through in the countryside they just don't have neighbors for a while but i mean that can just wear on you you know you you need a community around you at least i do and i think most people do very few people can thrive and survive year round year after year where you're 20 30 minutes away from your nearest grocery store or your nearest town Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, that's exactly what my town is. I mean, like Otisfield, Maine is 1,700 people. We're 30 minutes from the nearest Walmart where, um, yeah, there's there's no one there. So it's it's exactly the town you're talking about. And I fully agree. Like, um, And I think much less so for older generations, for sure. I think it's just more of like, eh. well, I think like like when my dad was a kid, he's told me like, he lived on the same road that I I lived on growing up as a kid. And mm-hmm. he told me all of his cousins and stuff would get together every weekend and they'd like play games on the road and stuff. But me growing up, there was one other boy on the road and we weren't friends at school. So we um like we went to the same school. We just didn't really like each other. So it was like there was one person for me to hang out with literally within 30 minutes. And I didn't hang out with them because I didn't like him. him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like yeah. him. So, <laughs> so it's like so definitely for especially for younger generations, I think like, um, at least at least where I'm growing up, the my generation didn't have a group of kids in the same neighborhood. I was the only mm-hmm. one. Um, so I mean, yeah, definitely, I I definitely think a suburb area is a lot better. Um. That's why I like this part of the year too. Um, because I get to come be in a little different area. Like I look out my window now and mm-hmm. I can see, you know, like almost the almost the skyline of the city, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I see nonstop traffic and you mm-hmm. know, back up to the red lights. I mm-hmm. it's it's cool. It's just a lot different than Maine. It's very nice to to change it up a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I I love a little bit of everything, you know. I um I I like having variety in my life, but um I I do enjoy kind of living in a suburban type setting where I've got I don't know, it's weird, you know. God, I, and my ideal situation would be um having like a smaller scale version of camp and just having twenty or thirty friends just have a cabin around me. That would that would be the dream situation and scenario right there. Mm-hmm. Just having Absolutely. a bunch of property, bunch of houses in your neighborhood with um some of your best friends and family living near you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I um yeah, you know that's um that's like my next big goal is um kind of my goal right now is by the time I'm twenty five, I'd like to have a property. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm holding it to, mm-hmm. especially as everything gets a lot more expensive. But I'd like to buy 25 own a property, whatever that means, even if it's just a trailer in a small town. Yeah, uh, I have my own place at that, like by 25. That's kind of my next big goal. Um, but I've uh, been thinking about places I might want to move. 
and I think I want to go more south. I think I'm I think I'm kind of sick of this winter shit. <laughs> yeah, again, for me, I it's about finding balance and I would love uh, some of the winter shit, but I don't want it as intense. I I could see myself I I really enjoy Georgia, but the problem is we almost get no winter. And if we do get winter, right. it seems like um we get really just a few months where it gets like cold and rainy we don't actually get snow i think ideal for me is going to be i could see myself ending up georgia is definitely an option north georgia is certainly an option tennessee in the smoky area north carolina and then i was when i went there two years ago um for my birthday i was blown away with kentucky really yeah, we well, went to the horse races in Lexington, and Lexington was a fun little college really? town. You got the University of Kentucky there, and actually, Will Stone and Joe Wolf came out and met me for my birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the horse races at um, at Keeneland Racetrack. So they've sure. got horse races that run in the spring and the fall time. And in That's the fall awesome. time, it was just real beautiful. The city was, I guess, um, probably pretty empty because Kentucky football went uh, down to Athens and played UGA in football that weekend, and they were both top 10 ranked. So it was a big matchup. So the UGA but, stomped them out like always. Well, you know, that's what we do. We're on a that's bit of a winning do. streak. Hey, go dogs. How about them? How about them? Back to back, baby. Yeah, I do need to get Will Messina back on and uh, chirp at hey, him a little bit. Here, I know they won't be able to see, so I'm sorry to all the listeners. You're just going to have to bear with me. But this is from the first game of the season. I got this Georgia shirt from yep. the Oregon game. It's a uh, like a duck hunt shirt. I don't know if you see Oh, that. nice. That's so cool. I thought so, too. It was, awesome. yeah, a duck hunt. We came in, ran ship. Yep. Oregon thought they were something. They weren't much this year. <laughs> did, did Bud get you on to UGA? He did. He um. So I remember we were at Pat's Pizza in Wyndham. Oh God! First, it was, so it was the first Georgia game I ever watched in my life. I was about ten years old. It was when Todd Gurley was at Georgia, and he told me, and I'll never forget. He said, "This guy's got a waist about as big as yours, but he's about fifteen times faster than you, twenty times stronger than you, and a whole lot smarter." And I watched him play that game, and it was I think it was a game against Missouri, and he went for. I mean, I didn't know much about football, but I knew that every time he ran the ball, he was running for a long time. And uh, he had a monster game. And it was just the first football I ever watched, and I loved it. It was awesome. So every time I'd go over on Saturdays, we'd watch the Georgia game. Um, I remember I was a fan when we had Hudson Mason. Mm-hmm. I was a fan when we had uh, Arthur or Arthur Lynch, Aaron Murray. Yeah, Aaron Murray. So like, yeah, I've been I've been a Georgia fan. It's the only the only team I've ever liked in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my introduction to football was yeah. the Bulldogs. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not just hopping in. I was a fan when we weren't ranked. I was, I mean, I've been a fan for as long as I yeah. could be being young. Because yeah. your 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 brother in law ended up uh, going to. Did he go to the University of Georgia? He did he did yeah. he graduated from there? He started at Michigan um really i didn't know yeah. that yeah i didn't know that um, i gotta i gotta get him back on my uh podcast i did his um his podcast yeah. the other week yeah he's a cool guy i love oh, dude he's so good with his podcast yeah. he's such yeah. a good host yeah he is man he is he's brilliant he's uh 
too smart for his own good, but he'll get too big of a head if he hears me say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to edit yeah, out some of this audio. <laughs> he's great to talk to. He he's he is great to talk to though. He's um very insightful. He's he's always just a good teacher, just in general. I think he's someone mm-hmm. that like can really um I think explain something to you without making you feel like uh like you're stupid or making you feel silly for not knowing it in the first place. He's very good at making it, you know, teaching you and not making you feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad he decided to go his own route with the podcast. I know he was talking about working uh, with the company and I get a, get a little, little leery and weary when people say they're going to start working with a company just because I, um I want to make sure that the content and ownership stays a hundred percent mine. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah, he, he is getting really into this whole like golf thing, which is awesome because it's been, um, it's been huge for him. Like he, mm-hmm. every time I've seen him, he's been like super excited. Um, he's been writing those articles for, mm-hmm. for that website. He, he yep. uh, works for on the side. So yeah, it's really cool. He is, he's, uh, I hope to see him soon. I, I was, uh, last time I saw him, I think it was like the weekend before I came down here. So, um, but yeah, he he talked to me about um, talking with him at some point, so that might be cool. But um, when did you have him on last? Um, he was my fourth episode, so he was one of the earlier okay. ones. And then I went on when I was um, over over the same period that I had you originally on the first time when I was at my yeah. grandma's house, yeah. and just the um, the audio the internet connectivity wasn't great on my end. So I would love to do another podcast with him to where I can give him better audio quality. And I even reached out to him afterwards because I really enjoyed his audio quality and asked what mic he was uh, using and working with. And he sent that over, but I'm looking for a little bit different style mic. I'm looking for a dynamic microphone, not so much a condenser. Okay. And that's what he's got. Yeah, he's got a Blue Yeti condenser mic, which is a, a great microphone. A lot of people use that mic. Um, it's very popular in the streaming world, I believe. A lot of uh, gamers who are on Twitch and streaming platforms such as that gravitate towards that one a lot. Sure, why is that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure, one, it's probably just good quality and acoustics. Um, I went to Guitar Center yesterday, and I've got... <clears throat> excuse me, two coworkers who I work with who are helping me get my audio quality and stuff set up. And I also just moved. So that's throwing another wrench into the equation. Sure. <laughs> I think, and I could be saying this wrong. So if anybody hears me, I apologize. I think if you have everything dialed in and your studio is set up as acoustically for the best acoustics possible, I think a condenser mic would work better. But what the gentleman who worked at Guitar Center was explaining to me is that condenser mics are a bit more sensitive and can pick up on stuff going on around them in the room. So if you and I were in a room and we had a condenser mic on, it would be able to pick up a pin dropping, whereas a dynamic mic is going to be a lot closer in its immediate area. So it kind of gives you more margin of error, whereas if you don't have control over everything going on in and around your studio where you're recording a dynamic mic may be better off for you. Gotcha. That, and that makes sense why it's good for streamers too. Cause a lot of the time they have like their own little gaming room that has mm-hmm. like the, like the soundproof walls and all that stuff. So I can see how that makes sense. Yeah. And then my good girlfriend, Kelly, um, she has a background in sound engineering. She just shot me a text message about um, 
what type of equipment I need for improving audio quality over Zoom calls because that's how I'm getting a lot of my guests right now is Zoom calls. I prefer to do face-to-face in person, mm-hmm. but until I get my actual studio and everything set up, which I think I'm going to be able to relatively soon, um, Zoom calls are the best. And even then, um, I, I still like talking to my friends out of state, so I need Zoom calls as well so I can catch up right. with them. And she sent me some of the pieces I need um, to do Zoom calls and improve the audio quality. Gotcha. Yeah, I always find it so interesting how much goes into the audio. It It is such a technical, uh, tricky little little pocket of, of interest. I We had um, BCC in this year uh, for mm-hmm. post-camp. And they had this gentleman who was like an audio technician. And I remember I dealt with a lot of the speakers all summer long, just as part of my job. And he came in and he was asking me for stuff. And he was just talking at like a whole nother grade of knowledge that I just didn't understand. And I was like, I normally know like what I'm talking about roughly. Mm-hmm. And he was speaking another language and he, he explained some of it to me. I mean, none of which stuck admittedly, but um yeah, I mean it's it's very in depth, all and very technical, all the all the yeah. specifics of audio. Yeah, and then eventually one of the goals is for me to get it onto a video platform, and okay. that's that's going to add another wrinkle to it. I'm I'm fortunately I've got resources and connections such as Drew Marsh and my friend Kelly and other people who I can lean on and bounce ideas off of. But man, it is a lot to learn. It is absolutely. I mean. I can imagine, and I haven't even stepped foot into that that realm like you have here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one day at a time. It, it's a lot to learn. It's um, yeah, it's it's a ton. And also, one of the things that just is going against me is I just naturally don't have a good ear for hearing that type of stuff. Mm, okay. So it's hard for me to notice. It has to be a pretty glaring, stark contrast for me to notice good audio versus bad audio like yeah. I, I have i imagine there's a good chance that when i produce this conversation and the one i just had with joe wolf it'll be fine but again i think there's just so many more layers that i can tap into that really improves the audio quality yeah yeah exactly i mean yeah like you'll figure it out though i mean like you're you're perfecting it already you've already it sounds like obviously figured out a lot of stuff about it which is oh i'm far from perfect my friend i am far from it aren't we all aren't we all though that's the fun of it we're all just trying to get a little closer to it Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah your um bud bud was mentioning to me or i think he introduced me in one of his intros as like a mentor for podcasting and i was like oh well i don't know what i'm doing so um you you have selected a (laughs) the wrong mentor my friend the mentee or whatever I think you got the wrong guy. I and him. I and him. That's so, so funny. Yeah. yeah. So you were talking about uh, wanting to get property by 25. Where would you, as of right now, and a lot can change, where could you see yourself uh, wanting to get your first piece of property at? Um, Admittedly, by 25, I have like a lot of goals for myself. So I would say. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right. I I think wherever I think I'd want to end up would depend I mean, obviously on where I'm at. Like I I'd love to direct a camp one day. Um mm-hmm. obviously where that camp is located, where like the winter office is, if it has a winter office, would depend on where I wanted to live. Um 
but yeah, I mean, like if it was just based on desire, um, I think I think North Carolina is a great choice. Yeah. Um, I've always found um I I love the North. I think like Virginia or New Hampshire or maybe I don't know. See, I've never been, but I almost feel like I'd want to check out like Rhode Island or Delaware or like mm-hmm. one of those like um like Oceanside states that are kind of smaller, but like kind of suburb, like city-ish. Um, I was going to say Maine is an Oceanside state, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, but I think I'd want to just go to one of those places that might have like a little more of like a city feel to it, but also yeah. similar feel to Maine, just more populated and urban. So on Sunday, I'm actually uh, one of my good friends who just moved from Atlanta um, that I used to work with. He's coming on the podcast on Sunday. His name's Jackson, and he just mm-hmm. moved to Rhode Island. So I'll pick his brain about Rhode Island and see if I can get yeah. any information for you. So do look it, forward yeah. to tune into that I'll one. I'll listen into that episode, too, so yeah. I can I can get whatever you can draw out of him. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, Jack jack's there so and he's always i've asked him about it a few times he's always told me nothing but good things i mean he's been there for a long time for a reason um and i asked uh i asked amy about it too because obviously she's been down and uh, she's been down there a few times she likes it too so (laughs) i suppose if you started your life off in canada and then you can say that rhode island's nice then it's probably nice (laughs) Well, yeah, you're getting an immediate upgrade going from Canada to America. So, so there, there's that. There's that. <laughs> you're you're improving right away. You're improving right away. Do you, do you still think down the road as you get older, and just the way technology is advancing and kind of becoming a bigger part of our lives, do you still see yourself wanting to run a camp? Do you still see camping looking like like it is now? Yeah, and I think I think it's only gonna get bigger because I think I mean the camping industry. Yeah, really, you think it's gonna grow? I think so, and the reason I think so is because I think it's gonna do something similar to like, kind of like what blue collar work did, where no one's like it's just kind of kind of be put on a back burner. Like I think Mm -hmm. people forget about the how how important it is to have like the feeling of camp, which essentially is just having a lot of close friends and working through whatever problem you have regardless, because it's not so easy to just block somebody on the internet. So I think like what's going to happen. And I, I guess like my rough prediction would just be that I think camp is going to be one of the only places in the entire world that you can really get that old feeling of like genuine connection and camaraderie especially as the world grows and gets more technology based. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think, I think like, I think what camp gives you is becoming more and more of a rarity, which is why I think it's going to increase in popularity as time goes on. Yeah. I don't know. I just see with technology increasing so much that, like you said, is that people are just, unfortunately it seems like gravitating towards a more uh, sedentary lifestyle and one where they get outside less often so i could see camp attendance numbers at a lot of camps across the board across the camping industry dwindling over the years yeah i think i i don't know um 
I don't know though, because I do because the other thing about camp that carries through is the love for camp. And so I think like a lot of the times what you find is campers produce campers. Like campers will grow up, have kids, mm-hmm. and their kids will be campers as well because they yeah. loved camp. And like I've found that out a lot too, uh working here at the camp spa. Like I know um like a lot of the parents you talk to went to camps, generally the same camp that their kids are going to when they were kids. Um, and so I don't know. I, I definitely see what you're saying and maybe it's a bit of wishful thinking. Probably it is, but I definitely like, I think I hope. And I think that I really do think that, um, that, that people will maintain a love for what camp gives you. Yeah. Um, just because just because I think it's so special and it might get like we like more rare and, and more rare over time but I still think like the family of camp people won't go away anytime soon yeah I certainly hope not I, I definitely have a uh yeah a, a fond That's place a scary, it's a scary thought for sure camp means everything to me yeah and it just also feels like people aren't um it feels like um like you touched on earlier, feels like across the board, people aren't having kids as much. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the, and you know, another thing that's, that's also kind of sad that sometimes you see, like when you take um, some of the clothing orders for some of the kids mm-hmm. is uh, sometimes like, actually a lot of the time the parents are like very out of touch with the camp and like almost, it almost feels sometimes as though the camp is a route for months of babysitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I said is because like sometimes you'll get on a on like a call with a family and like you're on there like so essentially I guess just to quickly explain my job is to hop on a zoom call and talk to a family share my screen with the website uh, for whatever camp their child's attending and show them the required items list that they have to get for camp I can tell them what size they should probably get depending on the item of clothing and all mm-hmm. that stuff uh, and like basically just what our job is like we have pretty extensive training to to learn all that stuff and then um so what's funny is sometimes you'll hop on the zoom call and parents will have like their nanny take the order that like doesn't know the kid very well yeah unfortunately that's a lot of conversations i had with the kids is uh, especially being a soco counselor is they um i mean the kids are really not they're very financially well off their families are um some of the who's who in terms of um just having capital and mm-hmm. they're they're the one percenter but a lot of the kids are telling stories about how most of their days are spent hen- uh hanging out with anybody but their parents yeah and and you know, you know, man, and I'll tell you this too. And you know what? I'll say, I'll say it loud and proud because I was gonna hesitate, but it's it's true. Um, you know, for some of the smartest people and like some of the wealthiest people, these parents, like a lot of them really are just dumb as rocks. Like, like, you know, like you'll hop on a Zoom and they'll say to you, Do I need like will he need a raincoat? And it's like no camps in a bubble it never rains actually <laughs> like yeah well i mean if if you're one of these families calling from like southern california or something you know i could i could understand that question right. you know I so guess that's fair all right explain this one <laughs> does he need a pillow <laughs> no do you need a pillow susan hey, hey, <laughs> may, may, maybe it's just a hardcore military family that just accepts no weakness at all 
<laughs> what I like to say is, no, he doesn't need a pillow, but you can actually just buy one additional sweatshirt and he can roll it up each night and use that as a pillow. Yeah. It'll be more expensive and less effective. Yeah, the pillow one's a little tougher to explain away. <laughs> so, I mean, but but it really is like you'll be like, hey, like, what's your kid's height and weight? And they won't know. And to me, that's a little sad. Like, that you don't at least have, like, an idea. You know, like, at least, like, a last time I checked, it was this. Like, even if it's not the most up-to-date, like, they'll have no idea. There are some camps that um, you do laundry bags uh, by graduation year. Mm-hmm. And you'll ask, like, what grade is your child finishing this summer? And they won't know. And, yes. it, really, and it really is. Like, you just have to feel bad. Um, because... Because I think like I I am a huge like I I really think that there's a such thing as underprivileged, obviously, but mm-hmm. I also think there's a thing, I don't know if really it's the right word, but I'm I'll call it overprivileged and just essentially like I feel bad for a lot of the kids that do go to camp that are are born so wealthy. Like I remember one of my good friends, um, he had a very famous dad. He was in my cabin for a lot of summers and he uh he always just told me that when he was a kid it always sucked like he couldn't go out to dinner without like a paparazzi do this or that like yeah it sucked and so I think like granted it's it's obviously great that he has everything he needs and like his family will always be able to provide so whatever but I also think that it takes away a big aspect of your childhood if you can't just be a normal kid like if, if everyone's trying to take pictures of you and so I think um, I think camp does a lot of good things for those kids, too, because no different than the underprivileged kids. It's not their fault that their life is like that. Like, yeah, <clears throat> it would suck to be a kid that that, you know, you couldn't get any alone time at all. Yeah, <clears throat> it's very um, eye opening seeing um, you think that because they're wealthy and come from all this money that they're going to be this way. And you, you all the cliches and stereotypes you hear about people for money. And then when you realize and you have, if you're fortunate enough to have some of these conversations with the kids and really connect to them, some of them just tell heartbreaking stories about, again, they're not really wanting for anything from a, you know, basic human needs standpoint. They've got a surplus and a lot of stuff and yeah. all they really desire is to just spend time with their family and they, they don't get that opportunity. Yeah. And I think, um, and I think the other thing that's extremely difficult, especially in today's world, especially like any unique problem for what, what I've for now classified as the overprivileged kids would be, I think everybody goes through hard things in life. Um, so it's very easily, Mm. sorry, it's very easy to relate to the underprivileged kids because it's like, you know, even if you weren't underprivileged, it's like, okay, I've been through a hard time so I can understand the feeling of like, this really sucks. This is very difficult. How am I going to get through it? Like feeling yeah. like you're drowning. Um, what is much harder to understand is the immense like wealth and surplus of happiness that a lot of like the overprivileged kids might understand. And they know that I think. And so it's like, it's very, it's much more difficult. I think as a counselor, a friend or whatever you are, um, I think it's a lot harder to relate to the kids that are having troubles with like a paparazzi or like, you know, like uh, not getting enough attention from their parents because they're like always busy doing stuff because they're like rich and famous. Like it's just a whole set of problems that not many people ever have to deal with. 
So it's a lot harder to relate to, I think, which is which makes it a problem because it's so much it's so much harder to really empathize with the kids. And I think it's harder for the kids to feel empathized with. It's hard to even mm-hmm. fake. Yeah. And overall, I think the kids are really a lot of just great kids. Um, I, I would get that question a lot of what's it like working with some of these celebrities and their kids. And I said, they're just normal people like all of us. You know, they're, they're regular. <laughs> yeah. You've got your cool people. You've got your shy kids. You've got your quiet, loud, rambunctious. You've got every type of walk of person yeah. like you have in just about every group of humans there's ever been. So yeah. pretty, yes. uh, pretty standard stuff. Yeah. And I think that's extremely humanizing too. Like it's just, I, I don't know. I think just like the way society and culture is like, you just, you think one way about the people that have as much money and, and all the fame and whatever. But I think especially when you meet their kids, especially you really, you really like, it just, it like strips the situation down to the most basic like form. And it makes it a Mm -hmm. lot easier to comprehend. Like Mm. this isn't such a ridiculous, like abstract thing. Like it's just, this is a kid that just needs more attention and like a little bit more love. And Mm. like, it's so simple. It's just that simple. And like, it doesn't even sound possible because of who they are or how much money they have or whatever. But like, that's exactly why the problem is what it is. Like, because they, because there's no time. There's no time in the day for the parents or or anyone else. I I just thought about this. I think what would help, and our our camp does a pretty good job of everyone connecting and everything, but I think for some of the counselors who maybe misunderstand the kids and not necessarily misunderstand the kids, but yeah, I guess it would be misunderstands because some kids just act like brats and jerks and then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you get to talk to them and you understand, you can understand why, because they don't really get to see their parents much and stuff like that. I think it's very eye opening and you get to understand and get a really deep look into these kids on the phone call nights. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I wish, I wish more counselors got an opportunity to see that because again, that's a, that's a pretty, um, it, it's so weird. It's such a, again, a humanizing moment. It's, it's very cool because these kids who you may have um, a certain type of perception about, it's really, um, I don't know. It just changes something when you see them getting off the phone, teary eyed, missing their parents. It's, um, it, yeah, it's a nice display of human emotion. It is. Um, you know, and what's really funny too is, I think I think what doing the whole like Zoom call thing has really taught me um, is how little a one hour glimpse into a family's home actually teaches you about them. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I remember I had this woman. Um, yeah, I'll actually, I'll just, I'll leave the information there. I had this woman, I took her order. She had a son and a daughter both going to camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were both returning. And I remember I had asked about, um, you know, we have a couple different options for styles of sweatpants. And I said, which one would you like? She told me, um, well, what are they normally like? And I told her they like the joggers. Uh, a lot of the boys like to wear the joggers. And she said, really? Like, and she seemed very surprised. And then she said, um, 
she said, but don't you think those look a bit, uh, then she used, uh, like a, a gay slur. Um, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. And yeah. And I, I remember I just had to sit there and eat it. And I was like, no, actually a lot of the boys love those. They fit well and they're comfortable. That's, that's and, an interesting, uh, uh, thing is when people, yeah. use, it's, it's really interesting how to handle that situation. That seems, um, because culture and jargon, lingo, societal terms that seem to be acceptable, they they change throughout the course of history. Yeah, and it's uh, um it's interesting. It's like, oh man, my my generation doesn't doesn't use that term, and in fact, we find it quite tasteless when we hear it. But right, right, right. This was commonplace for you growing up, and well, and that's exactly it. Is is I was like. I don't think she meant that the way that I probably understood it. So I'm going to eat it and move on. But then dude, she doubles down. <laughs> and I was like, and you know, I was like, no, like these are good. Like he'll like these. A lot of the boys like these. And she was like, all right, I just want to make sure like you're sure. I, I want to make sure he doesn't go to camp looking. And then she used the R word. And I was like, Nope, it'll be great. Like he'll look good. Like it'll all be yeah. good. Again. And then she uh her daughter came and she uh her daughter wanted a stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. We do a little stuffed animal, it's either a moose or a bear, and it has like your camp's logo. We do it for every camp. It has your camp's logo printed on like a little t-shirt. It's very cute. And uh, she really wanted this stuffed animal, and her mom kept saying no. And she started to tear up and cry, like this girl would have been in Kineo for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she starts to cry and I was like, and I, you know, I'm just like, you know, I, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me genuinely. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry that she's crying, but if her mom doesn't want to get it, I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to try to persuade the mom. That's just not what yeah. it's about. So her mom, but then her, the same woman goes, all right, enough. Like, I, I can't listen to you. I can't listen to this. Like Grady has time for this, but I don't Grady. You'll listen to her cry. Right. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. No oh boy. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it really is. But then, so I see them second session. I see them in person on departure day. Yeah. And they're walking through boys' side. And so I was on luggage crew. I was I was one of the operations directors this past summer. So I was on luggage in the morning, all morning. I was like, like helping run that crew and get everything done and we finally got done, you know, it's eight 30, you know, we have, we open the gates at nine 30, 10, whatever. So me and, uh, both of our, our mutual good friend, uh, Will Messina, we go back yeah. to Oaks and hang out for a few minutes, you know, and then, uh, we both, we, we go get pretty for all the parents mm-hmm. and I'm on my way out of my cabin as this woman is, uh, is there and she she recognizes me immediately and she's like oh my god you helped us get our clothes and you know and and you know the really funny thing is man is after all that and i remember after i got off that call when i was here and taking the order i was Mm -hmm. so flustered so red in the cheeks like i don't know how i was supposed to eat those answers i don't know that was awkward it was embarrassing it was hard stressed out about it i met her in person and I don't mean to, I mean, granted, I don't mean to say it changes everything about her, 
but she was one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met in person. She yeah. was incredibly kind. She was very thoughtful. Um, you know, she she remembered some very interesting things about me. Like she asked me where I worked. I told her I worked at at the camp she was sending her children to. And so she was very excited. She had all these questions. I told her what I did. She remembered what I did months later. She asked me how the summer went. She asked me about intricacies about the job that we had talked about months back on this Zoom call. Like she took, she really thought about what I said months before. And I don't know. I thought, I think it just changed my opinion a lot. I think like you get much less of a glimpse than you think you do. Well, yeah. And again, goalposts move all the time of what we deem like acceptable acceptable to say in certain societal situations. And they Mm -hmm. move all the time. What's good one day is going to be offensive uh, years down the road. It just constantly changes. And again, you need to take stuff with context. Uh, um, I'm not that. I, I don't necessarily get that thrown back by stuff um, that said, because I, I do try and apply context. If it seems to be coming from a hateful, hateful place and a place of vitriol, then yeah, I, I'm, I might choose to address it or just not associate with that person. But um, yeah, every, everybody, every single person says stuff and does stuff that we regret. And then it just sickens me that, um, we seem to get ourselves into these situations as a society where there seems to be, excuse me, no room for grace or forgiveness anymore. Absolutely. I fully agree. And, and so that's like that. And that's really what it boils down to. Like I, I told an incredibly long story for something you just summed up in just a matter of words, but it really is the point I was getting at was just that <laughs> you, you really can, you know, I, I don't know. I think people are a lot more than than what you get and just a oh small. Oh my God. We're so complex. We are so oh, complex and we absolutely. love to just judge each other. Um we Based love on our to, own rules. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, yeah. we love to make those judgments final that a person can't redeem themselves or do better or worse throughout the the course of their life, which is a stupid way to live your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If, um, yeah, you've got to you've got to know what your um what you stand for morally, ethically, and who you want to associate yourselves with, and what type of stuff are deal breakers for you. And then again, people change and evolve. It's ridiculous how many people who grew up together and grew up near each other and became best friends are no longer associating with each other because of stuff like political interests and political parties. It's wild, man. It's wild seeing that stuff. I know some good friends who just do not associate with each other, and I'm still good friends with both of them, and they just really don't associate with each other because of political ideology. It's it's so crazy. It's so sad. There are so many other things. And when I talk to both of those friends, we never really talk about politics. There's just so much other stuff you can talk about. Yeah, but how right, but how easy is that? <laughs> if you don't agree on politics, don't talk about politics. It's not rocket science. You yeah. just talk about something else. Or you can also just talk like Joe and I talk to each other about politics all the time. We are complete opposite ends of the spectrum of yeah, um, or, political or, beliefs. Yeah. He's pretty conservative. I I tend to lean pretty liberally for um at least the candidates I support, but I enjoy hearing his opinion and feedback on yeah. stuff because it educates me and then I'm not getting stuck in my own thoughts in my echo chamber. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing is today and like, you know, I don't really know how controversial this is, but I do think that for the most part there, there are like roughly like good people and, and not great people. And I think regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, like for the most part, I would say most people believe that all people, you know, should be treated equally regardless as long as you know they haven't done anything like morally wrong themselves like done some awful stuff you probably should be judged for it um but and that but i but i think like i don't know i think um i think people need to be more focused on people and less focused on politics nowadays like one of my biggest frustrations is you'll see like a like a mass shooting and then you'll see people shouting like let's get rid of all guns and then you'll see people immediately start defending guns and it's like we're just worrying about the guns and like maybe just for one second think about the people that might have just passed away like think about the families that are mourning a loss this morning Mm -hmm. um and i think it's it's not that we don't need to deal with the problem at hand or deal with the root of the problem because we do but I also don't think that we should just dismiss the people that died. I don't think that we should just dismiss. Yeah. The, like, and I think we do like far too often. I think we just look at what happened and how we fix it. And we just totally skip past like the actual like devastation that occurred. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> people are, um, we're very easy. Um, we can be manipulated emotionally very easily and we get engaged in stuff that tends to hit us more emotionally, more than anything logically or ration. <clears throat> Re- um, yeah, logically, sorry, excuse me, fumbling over my words right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're so, um, we're so easy to get entrapped by something that enrages us or just any type of emotion, elicit any type of visceral emotion from us. We tend to get, more enthralled by that stuff and then we tend to get on our soapboxes and it becomes a left versus right thing us versus them thing um the media really stokes a fire you've got fox news saying um that oh it's uh the liberals and cnn that you know want to get rid of all the guns and then you've got cnn saying that fox and people who support guns are the reason that these children are ended up dead And it's just a bunch of people yelling again. The victims are completely forgotten about. And then we just seem to yell over each other and talk over each other. And then no meaningful conversations seem to have place. What's worse is it seems like if you are one of those people who try to have meaningful conversations, you get um, you get the worst treatment from the mob on both sides. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think um, it really has gotten to a point where yeah i mean people do only deal with with absolutes it's like these are one way or another and it can't be both and it's just like i think i think like the one thing that that i mean that i try to keep in mind and like i don't know i I would say like the other thing that i'm not a big fan of is like people saying like what everyone needs to do (laughs) because there's nothing that everyone needs to do Mm -hmm. um but i think like what i try to do because i think that it would it it would be helpful if more people did nowadays is like you, you mentioned it earlier, one, just keeping context and understanding that you and I can speak completely different sentences on a word to word basis. And we can mean the exact same thing. And that doesn't mean that certain things aren't harmful to certain people. 
but it does mean that there is a way to interpret what people are saying to see a little bit more than like what you might see on the surface. For Mm -hmm. instance, like that conversation I had, did that lady use some pretty hard slurs? Absolutely. Was it easy to eat that easier to eat them because I know that she wasn't attacking anyone individually. Yeah. A little bit. I know that she wasn't coming after someone in, like you said, in in like a pursuit of hatred yeah. she was using a word that was much more normalized for her as she was like in her probably mid-50s i would assume and that's i don't have to be okay with it but i also don't have to make a big deal of it and i can move on with my life yeah again i'm just applying content um or context intent and just really trying to get the full scope of the message that's important i had a good friend um who worked one summer with me at camp cheyenne um, okay. She she was talking about how she made. I thought when I read the post, she made a reasonable post about um Russia and Ukraine, and the way people took it was she was just getting people like messaging her inbox like, "Oh, you're a Russian supporter, you're a Russian agent, all this stuff." And I thought she just asked a reasonable question or made a reasonable post, and um now she's just getting labeled as this Russian defender, and it's it's. It's laughable that it's one, it's just probably it's probably a bunch of people who have a lot of stuff going on under the hood that are trying to make themselves feel better. Or it could just be bots or just people trying to stir shit. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, she's doing fine. She's well thought out on her points. And I would just tell her, yeah. to just just l- leave the goofballs behind. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, yeah. I, but I also do. I also am a big I You know, I am a big fan of just. But like, just believe in like what you believe in. I think like, if you really believe it, I think like most people have enough good in their heart to not believe in awful things. You know, yeah. I think like, um, I don't know. I I just think everyone should be able to live their life the way that they would like to live it, and like whichever way makes them happiness as long happiest as long as that's not getting in the way of others. And I think that's becoming harder and harder to do just because everyone's so worried about other people nowadays. That that's a bummer. Yeah, there's this um one public figure um emerging um he's been emerged his name's Jordan Peterson and he's a cl- clinician and he's from Canada um I'm not sure if you're familiar with him but am, yeah a little bit people lash out at a lot of stuff that he says and one of the things they tend to lash out is um uh clean your own room and the whole concept behind that is you've got a lot of people who are I'm sure they're well intentioned when they try and be activists and they try and fight for causes and stuff and then he says. You go talk to these activists, and then when you get a deeper glimpse into their lives, you see the room at home is a complete mess. And he's talking about how are you trying to make other people's lives? You're trying to solve other people's problems when you haven't even fixed your own room yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point. And like, I I also like that's why that's why like anytime I ever have like any like advice per se, like I always try to like phrase it in a way that like i would do this for this reason Mm -hmm. because it's me (laughs) and i don't have all the answers for you but i think that's a very good point absolutely i think i think that's very true i think um and you know i mean another thing on that topic is i think just like reposting what other people have to say in your instagram story is so worthless (laughs) like like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know how much time people should be spending online in general. So that that's a whole right, nother right. Uh, that's a whole nother issue. 
I think it's one thing to share something on your story that you think is cool or like even something that is meaningful for sure. But I think like if you're one of those people that like your Instagram story is 30 posts that are all like activist posts, like, and you think that and you do it every single day thinking that you're making like a genuine change, like Mm. the time that you spend reposting other people's content is time that you could really be making a difference by like actually doing something for the world. Yeah. It's I don't tough, mean to man. say that in a harsh way, but, but yeah. genuinely, like, there are more effective ways than reposting. I think it's good to repost a couple things if you think mm-hmm. it's really important, but there is, there are more important things. There's no point in doing 40 posts a day on your story. Like, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I, I go back and forth on that stuff all the time about, you know, whether you should post or not. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of like activist stuff, you know, one, it's yeah. good to get awareness up. And then it feels like the amount of time people post and research and look into it and do the rants on into it. Like you said, you might have been able to find some community service projects that might have had a bigger, um, more immediate impact. But, yeah. you know, every everybody's got their I, I, I guess as long as you're actually trying to be sincere and genuine about yeah. fixing the problem and not just um, virtue signaling and trying to do a post because it's the cool thing that's trending on social media that we want to talk about. Yeah, man. And I'm going to be honest. I, I'm just not a whole big fan of like just the posting thing in general. Like my, my thing I, I think is if, if you're very sincere in how I, I just think that you operate in in coordinates with your sincerity like i like i know that anyone that i come in contact with regardless like i will initially treat with respect and mm-hmm. i don't have to post about that yeah like i know that i am not out to hurt anyone i'm always out just to help people i just i do my thing i go to my job i make my money i go home like whatever i guess like just I think like also sometimes anyway, people try to do like a little bit too much. And I think like just being a good person in your everyday life Mm -hmm. is good enough. In my opinion, I, I just think like people try to maybe control like a little bit too much when they post and like try to like spread information to all these people. And I think like if you operate well and respectfully and, and you do what you believe in, in your everyday life, you'll never find more satisfaction. That's what I've found. I find that if I'm personally nice to everyone and, you know, I, I do what I believe in that I'm much happier than if I post about doing what I believe in. Yeah. Well, you know, different people may get satisfaction from that. I don't know how authentic that satisfaction is. That's not really for me to decide, but everybody has different interests. So you know, yeah. some people do enjoy, and again, the way that this, um, the generations behind us seem to be trending, it seems to have a much bigger um, footprint and t- uh, ties to technology. And they're they're growing up with this stuff from from Jump Street, you know, where it took our yeah. generations a little bit of time to like really get used to technology. I didn't have my first cell phone until I was like 13, 14. Whereas kids are getting it far earlier and again, they're growing up using these yeah. things, coming out of the womb, knowing how to use this stuff. Yeah. So, well, see, it's, are you, so you said you, you got your first phone when you were 13 or 14? Yeah, 13, 14. And it was a, it's what was called a go phone. So it had just minutes that you had to buy. You literally had to buy yeah. the minutes. Yeah. And see, that's actually kind of funny. Cause like, like even me though, like I didn't get my first phone until I was 17 years old. I was a junior in high school and I got my first phone and, um, 
and yeah, but it was, it's the same thing, except probably worse than what you experienced. But yeah, it's like 10, 11, 12, 13. Like everyone has really like the newest iPhone yeah. at the time, you know, which was probably like a six. I think, I think like everyone had the six was like the first phone <laughs> that I really saw. Like the six and the six S was like everyone, like in like my first year of middle school had like an iPhone six. And that was, that was like the big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is interesting how early, like, I didn't get uh, my first, like, gaming console. Well, I, I had a Wii when I was a kid, but I wasn't, wasn't really allowed to use it very often. I could use it for, like, an hour on the weekends, like, yeah. and, like, never on the weekdays. Sure. Uh, but I got my first Xbox when I was in high school. Um, this is something that's interesting, and I, and I kind of wonder. One problem that I found about getting a phone and a console so late in high school was, uh, what happens, what I found was I found that I had a lot of free time because I had nothing or not a lot anyway to take up my free time. Because as I mentioned, I didn't have a lot of people in my town to hang out with after school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't going to go home and play on my phone or play video games because I didn't have either. So what I would do is I would just like, you know, do my schoolwork. I was always a good student. But then when I got to high school and I had the most responsibility I'd ever had, I got my first phone and my first Xbox. Yeah. And so at that point, I had no idea how to control those things. Those were two new toys. It was like I was on my phone all the time. Yeah. I was on my Xbox all the time. And really, I think it's interesting because I think there might be, at least from personal experience, and that's why I'm asking you, I think there might be like a fine line between when you should introduce those things to kids. Because I think if you do it too late, I got extremely distracted by my phone and my Xbox in high school. I did very, very poorly once I got those things because I had no idea how to manage my time anymore. Like it was like, oh my God, two new toys. I have to spend all my free time on them. My homework started dropping Um, versus the kids that had got it when they were younger. It wasn't a new toy anymore. They'd figured out how to manage their time. They'd gotten used to having a phone. It wasn't such a big deal to them because they'd had one for so many years. So I don't know. I think, uh, what, what do you think about that? Hmm, It's interesting. I, I definitely think you probably need that like a lot of things. And you'll hear me say this a lot. I'll be a broken record on this. You got to uh-huh. take it case by case. Um, There's yeah. definitely an argument you can make about getting it introduced earlier. A lot of it's going to be how you as a parent are demonstrating use around your child, what that looks like. Your kids are oftentimes going to mimic and, um, replicate the patterns and their behavior off of what they're seeing with you, what type of phone you get the kids. I I would certainly want to get my kids a phone as whenever I start having kids relatively early, if nothing else for safety. Um, I would love, yes. I would love if they just had like almost a phone like I had growing up where it was just a super stripped down version of a phone, essentially like a walkie talkie that can make long distance phone calls. That's essentially what I wouldn't want my kids to have maybe have some type of GPS um, location onto it. But yeah, yeah, I think it's just about, you've got to demonstrate good values, just have good conversations with them, talk to them. And again, it's a, it's a tool like anything. So that's, you've got to demonstrate how to use the tool, you know, if you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's just like what kind of parent you are and like what kind of example you're trying to set. But I also would say, and I also, once again, I mean, how qualified am I to talk about having kids? But <laughs> I do think, I do think though, that um, just like from what I do know about kids, I think 
I almost think that you can't go super wrong. And the reason is because um, I think it's, it's easy with hard work to find success in today's world. Like, I think there's just a lot of things that are needed. Like if you're a kid that's good with technology, like you're going to find a job. And if Mm -hmm. you're, you know, like you grow up maybe more blue collar or doing something else, you're going to find a job. Like I think um, just as far as like life skills go, it's Mm -hmm. probably not like you you probably can't mess it up too bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whether they have a phone or not, I don't think is going to ruin their chances at life no. for something like that. But I do think that there is an optimal way to do it. I think like, I think like probably, probably like freshman year of high school is like, I think, um, or maybe, or maybe like the middle of like eighth grade year or something like that. So they can have like a little bit of time with the phone before they get into high school, get used to it over summer break or whatever. And then, and then like really focus in and, um, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Those are, those are the type of questions everyone has different answers to. So yeah. I'm always. Absolutely. Well, Grady, man, I'm about to sign off here. I'm getting pretty hungry about to go need to scarf some food, but I appreciate you, uh, finally, uh, finally being patient with me. I messed up the first few recordings of the podcast. So I appreciate you jumping back on and having a conversation with me. Uh, dude, I'll have a conversation with you anytime. Super easy. Yeah. <laughs> and I hopefully uh, this is the last time I ask you for this, but do you still have that uh, quote you gave me for the first few times we recorded that? I'm going to keep it because guess what? Nothing has changed. It's still very true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, go ahead. Uh, whenever you get it pulled up, uh, hit the audience with the quote that you landed on for providing your quote. All right. Um, so it's a Robert Frost quote. And uh and the quote goes, if there's anything I've learned about life, it goes on. Um, and I've I've continuously thought that that's absolutely perfect. I think um, I think that just really sums up about like what you can do. You know, I think uh, I think we do our best every single day to, you know, get where we want to be and like be who we want to be and affect mm-hmm. who we want to affect the way we want to affect them. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, life does its own thing. It does its funny things. And, and we have to adapt to that. And we can only do the best that we can do. So I think just taking it, like you said, one day at a time and and just getting through it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I love that quote, man. And again, thank you for coming on to the Press and Guest Podcast. I appreciate it so much. And I'm looking forward to having you back on in the future, okay? Oh, I'm looking forward to it, brother. All right. Thank you very much. You take care, man. Bye. Bye.